and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where we tackle the leadership topics everyone is thinking about, but no one is talking about. In today's episode, we'll ask the question, why are some of the best churches to attend the hardest to work for? And now, let's join our hosts. Well, welcome to the Slingshot Group Podcast. I'm here again. My name is Vance Martin. I'm with my friends, David Miller, Keith Robinson, the men of the hour. What's up, fellas? Doing well, brother. Doing well. What is up? Today, we are talking about a fun little topic. It's kind of a dirty little secret around the mega church, the awesome church, the cool church, the rad church, uh, the hipster church. Sometimes the best churches to attend are not always the best churches to work at. I don't know. I've experienced this. You guys have experienced this. We experience this when we work with churches because we're in and out, all kind of churches all over the country. This seems to be true. David, you've seen this. I know you've worked at this church. What are some common threads, themes that you'd say these churches that are so dang cool but so hard to work at? Why? Yeah, man, I, I think there's a lot to to point to and to try and figure out. I, I I think the first thing that I've noticed working with these churches and working at these churches is that typically it's not on purpose. Typically, this church what they don't want to torture their people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know that's hard to believe. We're gonna drive. We're gonna be task drivers and absolutely like less straw, less water, more bricks. Do it now. That's that's gonna be. <laughs> That's going to totally. be the name of my church, Les Straw. That, that's, that's the worst church name. Like I've heard some really bad church names, but that one might go on the top of the list. Yeah, I, I, I don't think most of these churches are trying to burn out their staff. I, I, I think more highly of them than that. But I think that it's a trap that's really easy to fall into. Yep. Right. I think that it's something where, um, where we we want to fill the room. We want to have the energy. We want to be known as a place where people can come and experience Jesus in a brand new way. And, and, and almost we, we become so uh, obsessed with and mindful of the gathering that we forget about the people that are doing all the work to make that gathering come to life. And so I, I know in my story, uh, I, uh, I worked at one of the fastest growing churches in America. You know, we, guys, we made the list. You know, you know the list. Yeah. When you make it. Yeah. Oh, yes. So we made the list, one of the fastest growing, and and we were when it was and it was an incredibly exciting season of ministry until it wasn't. Right? It's it's it was very exciting until all of a sudden I started watching my coworkers yeah. drop like flies. And they're just one by one, not able to keep that pace, not able to keep that pace. And, and, and what ends up happening uh, in that context is that there is a very outwardly successful church or organization. And really, there's this like wake of dead bodies behind them of the mm-hmm. staff that couldn't keep up and got trampled along the way. Have you, got, you guys have seen that, right? Totally. 100%. Yeah, I think when, when I'm... Um I think about the churches that that we've gotten that we connect with. A lot of these churches churches start as startups, right? They're church plants, and right. when you're a church plant, it's like we're all in, right? You're signing up for if you're on staff, this is my life. I don't have a life 
Then you see some success and then you get a building, you know, after being in a school and it's like, oh, we made it. But now, now we've got a mortgage, we got bills to pay and we got to keep filling these seats. So the weekend and the experience, it's got to be like next level. We got to one up the amazing thing we did last week. Easter was incredible. We had X amount of people here and we don't get X amount more. We we're, we're failures. So we got to one it up everybody. So guess what? We're doing an all nighter. So buckle up. So it's, it's, you, we create the machine that we've got to, we got to feed the, the machine and we feed it with the bodies of dead pastors. That's what you feed the, the the church growth (laughs) machine. That's the secret. I think we've all seen it, you know, that it's, there's this pressure to build an incredible experience and it's easier to build an experience in a community. Totally. And it's so, sexier right, you know, for yeah. sure. Sure. Yeah. And I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, you know, coming up, starting out in ministry, in my early 20s, um, whether I was told this explicitly or not, I certainly picked up on it. And it's that you get rewarded in ministry for being impressive. Um, way more than being intentional. You know, if I'm intentional, that's great. But if I'm impressive, even better. And so right. I think we've just kind of built um, systems and, and an entire culture around this idea. Um, but like you said, the wake of that impact is often um, a handful of dead bodies and pastors yeah. that are just burned out and hit a wall. Man, I remember sitting in a room with a bunch of pastors. This is like kind of like the, you know, one of those meetings after the conference with the people that were helping put everything together. And there was this executive pastor of of the church that everyone would remember and everyone knows the name and everyone looks up to. <laughs> and and I remember sitting there as he looked around the room and he said, that person used to work with us. This pastor over there used to work with us. This one used to work with us. And I remember sitting and, and just listening to him. And at first, kind of being impressed by that, like, wow, like what an interesting thing. But then asking myself the question, why did all of these incredibly talented people used to work for you? Like what happened that made it so that they, that they, they didn't stick, they didn't want to stay. And so there's something about figuring out how do we as leaders have a, a great place to, to work and a great place to attend, but really focus in on uh, our staff, create an environment that our staff can thrive, an environment where our staff wants to stay and be involved. And so I think that this is something where, where we've, we've, we've really focused on one and we need to start focusing on the other. And there are so many stories. If you really, if you get a chance, you just talk to that pastor that you know, talk to those friends that have been a part of those churches. They'll say, it was very exciting. I loved, I have so many incredible stories of, of, of life change where Jesus showed up and incredible things were going on, but man, then I hit the wall and there was no safe place for me to exist when I hit that wall. And so really we were moving so fast that it was either keep up or get out of the way. And I think that that's the mentality we have to start to uh, look at a little bit more. And so, man, one of the game changing moments in my own story was again, working at the church, And there was that moment of either keep up or get out of the way. I moved to a church out here in Southern California uh, and, and, and I came onto the team with like this, this ridiculous, like almost 
nervous energy. I'd walk into every meeting just thinking like, I wonder what's going to happen in this meeting, right? And, that, and I, was, I was bringing the wounds from my last church with me. And I had uh, the lead pastor of the church pull me aside, really good guy, uh, remains a great friend. And he says, David, I, I need you to understand something that here at our church, we will actually sacrifice excellence for development. And that was a game-changing moment for me. We will sacrifice. We want to develop people. We want to have an environment where people feel cared for and that they become better. And if we have to sacrifice um, excellence for that, we're, we're going to do it. I think most of those kind of top churches uh, are, are leaning more toward excellence than they are development. And there's no place to learn. It is. It's, it's keep up or get out. Yeah. Yeah, and you think about that too, you know, Ephesians 4 immediately comes to mind, right? That, mm-hmm. that the, the gifting that God has given to pastors and to leaders is for the development of uh, the saints for the work of the ministry. And, mm-hmm. and yet there's this pressure in our church cultures today um, to shortcut or to, to kind of bypass that entire process. Why, why do right. you think that is? Why, why do we see that? First of all, I, would, you're, I think you like hit it square on the head, Keith. Like in, in, in that, what you just said, it is, that's the secret to having both. Because I think we, we believe the lie that we can't, that it either is excellence or equipping, developing others. But I, here's the thing. I think it's, it has to do with the time right. period. So it's, you can have excellence over time, but mm. it's quicker to have excellence faster by doing it all ourselves, by taking control. But over time... You can have excellence through development if you will invest in people, but it's going to be a not sexy season where we may have to, like like the church you were talking about, David, we have to sacrifice some excellence uh, for development of, of people. And I don't think there's a lot of lead pastors that are willing to do that. And it has to do a lot with that pressure of the machine that we've built. It's a roadblock. Or I for, for me, when I the reason I didn't develop others is because my mm-hmm. identity was wrapped up in how good I was at this. And so if I did some, if I let somebody else do this, then I'm not the hero anymore. I'm not the one, you know, they're paying me to do it. I'm the one with the skill. So why should I hand this off to somebody else? But that led me to hitting that wall. And Mm. I was, honestly, I was addicted to it. Like you're addicted to the success. Totally. No doubt. Well, I, first of all, Vance, I need you to understand that you will always be a hero to me. <laughs> so I just want you to understand that always you will have a red cape and tights. But moving <laughs> past that uh, terrible image, um, when I think about when I think about that, I, I, I'm reminded of a meeting that I sat in uh, with a, a, a pastor named Don Cousins. Uh, he was consulting for our church, and he he made this statement that just transformed the way that I viewed volunteers, the way that I, um, I've moved into so many of the, the leadership opportunities that I had. He said, uh, you need to understand that Jesus did not call the disciples to ministry, but he says, Jesus called the disciples to himself and together they did ministry. It was relational. It was a thing that they were supposed to do together. So he he then continues, and this is some of this is in 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 the book that he wrote called Leadership. And again, I want to enunciate that properly because that's a very dangerous thing to say into a microphone. Leadership. Um, and and as as you um, read through his, that material, he goes on to say that that the church needs to become a lot better at not 
hiring doers of ministry, but hiring equippers of ministry. And if each of us viewed our role as an equipper of ministry, it it starts to shift the way that we view our role and being that hero in every one of those instances and and that dopamine rush that we get when we get the the accolade. But if churches started celebrating the amount of volunteers you have versus celebrating how cool you were or that rock star moment that you had, it, it starts to really move. And that's what happened again in my story. When I moved from one church to the next church, that, that last church that I was on staff with full time, they were all about you, it has to be about the volunteer. You have to equip others. And, and we want to be a, a training center for people to go out and do incredible things in ministry. And so what I'm finding is, um, is again, from the very beginning of what we talked about, I don't think most of the churches that are caught in this rut are doing it on purpose. And when they start to understand that there is this shift that can be made, moving from uh, we want to be the best church to attend and we want to move toward being the best church to work at, you you end up getting both. But if you focus on being the best church to attend, you don't end up getting both. You only get the one. And that's, uh, I, I, I've shared this quote with you guys um, before. Simon Sinek put a quote out the other day uh, on his on his Instagram, and I, I read it in, in at least one of his books. And he says, the average business, uh, they need their customers to fall in love with them. Uh, I'm sorry, shift that. They need their employees to fall in love with them before their customers can fall in love with them. And I, I translate that into the, the local church. Local church, we need our employees. We need the team that, that this entire thing is being built on the blood, sweat, and tears of to fall in love with this work before we have the average attender falling in love with it. Does that ring true with you guys? Yeah. And you know, David, something that you were talking about a moment ago that I want to go back to with Don Cousins and that just that beautiful picture of Jesus calling the disciples to himself first. We know that. And at the same time, just like the disciples, we lose sight of it. There was this moment in the gospels where the disciples come back to Jesus after they'd been sent out to heal and, and do his work. And they come back and the Bible says that they're all celebrating. And uh, they, they say, the demons are even subject to us, right? Like we're doing things in your name and it's working. And then Jesus is so quick to remind them that they better always celebrate the right stuff. And he says, don't celebrate that the demons are subject to you. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's like, I'm not even surprised that you're successful uh, in what you're doing because you're, you're doing it in my name and I'm with you. But rejoice, he says, rather that your names are written in heaven. And he just wanted to remind his disciples that our value and our worth doesn't come from being impressive or being the savior or the Messiah uh, that we often feel like we have to be for our churches, but instead just knowing that our identity is rooted and grounded in Christ. Well, guys, I, uh, I'm going to sit down with uh, Charlie Dawes. I have an interview that you'll all get to hear with him. He's the uh, lead pastor at Metro Church in DC, and he has some incredible stories about um, really working in that kind of fastest growing, going for it church and, and experiencing burnout himself, taking over a church as the lead pastor that had that culture and then really leaning into how he's helped to shift that culture. 
um, toward a place that not only is a great church to work. Because let's not let's not take away from this. We want our churches to be great places to attend, right? But but he want he wanted to create an, a, a culture that wasn't only a great church to attend, but was also a great one to work at. So uh, I hope you guys all enjoy that interview with Charlie Dawes. Charlie, man, thank you so much for hanging out today and uh, being a part of this podcast and this interview. It's been far too long since we've been uh, able to embrace in person. We need to change that soon. This is our kind of chance here. We're we're talking about this topic that you and I have been talking about, honestly, for a few years. Um, why so often the best churches to attend end up being the most difficult churches to work at. And and Charlie, you've had multiple roles over the years in ministry. You've been in next-gen ministry, you've been in higher ed, uh, and now you find yourself as the lead pastor of a church. I'm curious if you've found this to be true in your ministry experience. Yeah, I have. Um, and first, let me say, it's just so good to, to be on, so good to kind of catch up this way. And uh, allow other people to kind of listen into a conversation, as you said, we've been having for a couple of years now. And uh, in each of those roles, I, I would say I, I've experienced the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, the good being I actually have some examples where I think it's been done well. Um, and then I've been able to benefit from that. Um, and I think that's actually serving me well now uh, in the role that, I, that I'm in. Uh, but I do have some stories and some moments where uh, it didn't go well. And, and when I think about really kind of reducing that all to, you know, what's that? that common denominator, why is, is this becoming such a, a problem? And I think as, as simply stated as I, I can make it, I think what happens in those environments where, where people are become so focused on producing ministry or producing services or producing opportunities for people to come and gather and worship, somewhere along that process, they forgot that the people who are on staff at the church also attend that church. And, and what ends up happening is they, they see them as commodities and they see them as a means to an end. They're cogs in wheels and they're only as good as the ministry or the output that they, that they perform. And I think on, a long, on the long run, what happens is burnout, but the burnout comes because they, were, they weren't taken care of spiritually and they weren't taken care of probably uh, emotionally and they weren't taken care of as, as individuals. It's a sad thing when when people will leave the ministry and leave working in, in churches and they find their life becomes healthier when they're working in that quote unquote secular position. And that's a, that's a sad, sad reality that I think far too many of my friends and far too many people have experienced. And I think that's what it kind of comes down to. They, they weren't treated as, as part of the church. Um, they were just treated as the machine that makes the church. Give us a bit of a, of, one of those experiences before you were the lead pastor where you have seen it done. I'd be interested even in the juxtaposition where you've seen it done um, well and where you've seen it lead to burnout. Yeah, man, I've seen, I've seen very like close firsthand, um, you know, churches not caring for simple things as um, schedules to children's events, baseball games, soccer games, ballet, where that wasn't seen as important, where it wasn't valued. Um, because if it kind of crosses over, it, it's almost looked at as um, you have to choose um, which is more important. And now again, we all would make the decision, well, what's more important is my family. The problem is, is when you cloud that decision with spiritual language, 
you cloud it with financial uh, resources, um, you you are put into a really tough spot. And so I've seen young pastors and I've seen young people on staff really um, do harm uh, do harm in their uh, families because they were making poor decisions, and it was done under the uh, you know under the over overarching concept of like oh this is you know we're building the kingdom or we're we're working for the Lord, but what really ends up happening is is you're you're not honoring God because you've lost you've lost your family. Um, I, I can I can really remind myself of you know times early in ministry where where I allowed the pressure to perform and to produce um, to have me not take enough time off when we had our our first our first child. Um, I I took uh, four days off. Um, it was the way that it worked out is like, you know, we had, I think Caden was like born on like a Thursday. And so we had that weekend. And so then I just took like a, like four days and it was like kind of back after, you know, after it. And the reality was this, I don't know if anyone explicitly told me, uh, to do that. Um, but I do know that no one told me not to. Right. And I think that's the, even we talk about this earlier in, in the podcast where I don't think most of the churches that have that culture of burnout or that culture where it's a great church to attend, but not a great church to work for. I don't think they do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really Agreed. don't. I really think that it starts um, even with very good intentions, but it can easily start to drift over into this place where uh, the visual that I have in my mind is, we built this really incredible experience for people on the wake of a bunch of dead bodies behind us of our staff, mm. the, you know, the people who, who we need to put this event, this service, this worship experience, this uh, time for your kids to experience Jesus, this, whatever that, that role that that yeah. staff member has. And, and, and we build it on the backs of so many people. And, 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 and again, it's, it's not that the intention was to injure anybody or to be abusive in any way, but that we can start to encroach upon that um, almost on accident, like thinking we're doing something that's really good. Because I, I remember a, a similar experience where um, I went away with my wife and we just needed some time. You know, I was, I mean, years into, I, I just take, took over a five campus, you know, youth ministry and I needed that opportunity, you know, the opportunity just to reconnect with my wife. Well, one of the pastors called me while I was gone and my wife said, don't answer it. And I'm like, ah, oh, I got to answer it. I mean, you know, I have to. And, and so I answered the phone and they berated me for being gone in this, in this like really busy season when I had received, yes, I was allowed to do it, all these things. But then it, it didn't go, things didn't go as smoothly as they thought it would without me there. And so I got thrown under the bus in a major way. And, and, and my first, re- my wife's reaction was, was anger. My wife's reaction was, those people don't care about you. My reaction was guilt. I had, I, had, I had bought into that whole thing and thought, oh my gosh, they're right. I really shouldn't have left. This, you know, that, that Wednesday night or that Sunday morning was, was more important than me being with my wife in this moment. And, and I, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. And, and so I'm, I'm with you. And I think that a lot of people who would be listening have a very similar story to what you're saying of, man, it's, it is a normal thing to take time when you have a child, <laughs> you know, it is a normal thing to need to recharge with your family. And yet it is so easy for us to buy into this machine that it, 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 it takes us to do it. No, I, I think, you know, you, you said something there that I thought was just interesting where you're, 
your response to the situation was shame and was was you, you felt this sense of like this burden and here's here's the 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 tension that I think us as leaders and us as followers, most of us are in positions where we're leading groups, but we're also following someone else and we're um, kind of subordinate. I think we have to remember that there is this, there's this tension that that's at play where we realize that as we're, we're following, if we're not careful, we're, if we're not motivated by the right things, um, we will be, will be shamed by maybe the, the wrong things. And, and, and I think for, for me as a, as a leader now, you know, I look back at that situation I made that mistake with my first, um, my first child. I didn't, I didn't make that same decision um, with my second. And I also had someone at that time um, that was leading me. And I think they were probably more healthy than the other, the other leader at that time. And they were very much uh, championing me, um, taking um, time and, and making sure that, that we did that as a family. And I'm you know, grateful for that because now um, when I have people on my staff who are, are going for maternity leave, um, whether it's uh, maternity or paternity leave, I'm excited. Like I'm championing that. I am making sure they understand, hey, there's nothing more important that you can do in this period of time than that. And even making it something for us as a staff that we rally around. And so not just um, not just for, you know, when it's a, a birth of a child, but hey, if somebody's out because they're, they're watching their son or their daughter in, in, a, in an event, Hey, let's rally around them so that that person's not feeling that weight when they're when they should be focused a hundred percent on on their family at that time. I I think for me, kind of in the role that I'm at now, I, I look back and I see those moments where maybe it was an unhealthy leader, and maybe it was someone that was just immature in their leadership, and and they didn't understand how to help me make better decisions. You know, because we're we're all building this thing, and your analogy was, I think, spot on. Where we build this thing, and at the end of it, the expense and the cost of building the edifice is all the bodies behind us. When if we ask the people we're building this for, is this worth the carnage? They would all say no. No one in our churches is like, yeah, you know what? I want our marriages on staff to be terrible. I want our people to be unhealthy. No one would say that. So it's almost like we're building something that nobody even asked us to build. Well, where does that come from? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to you. I mean, because I agree with that wholeheartedly, but where does that that need to build something that no one has asked us to build? I love that line. Where does that come from? The hard, simple answer that we all have to wrestle with, because we all have it, is ego. It, it, it is it is ego. There is a sense where there's a part of us that are that we lead. It's the same person that again. You have to be careful when at the end of your service, do you determine whether or not your service and your gathering was was good, was powerful, was impactful? What are the metrics that you use to determine if that is the case? Is it noses and nickels? Is it the size of an offering? Is it the size of a crowd? Do those determine whether or not this is healthy? Those can be a symptom. Those can be a metric, but they can't be the only metric. And I think if we're not careful, our ego will drive. And I find this for me. I've got to fight this, that my ego will cause me to look at things that are less important. And they can begin to, to make me feel like, oh, we're doing it. When really, like, are we doing what has even been asked of us? And so is the church called to make disciples? Or are we called to make productions? 
make it tenders. And so again, there's this tension because I know we've gotten into a place in, in our in our country, especially in the Western world, where we're using we're using events to spin off interest, and the interest will hopefully bring them. But so it's like we're 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 trying to do all these things because again, at the heart of the leader, I truly believe this. We want to see people have an experience and a life change that comes from following Jesus. We we want that with the core of who we are. I think we've lost our way and and we try to accomplish that sometimes and we're using it's almost like we're using the wrong tool to build the thing. And and I think what ends up happening is we only we only know we only know how to run this play because we didn't develop ourselves as leaders we didn't develop ourselves as christ followers and all you'll do is replicate and reproduce who you are spirits reproduce spirits and so for me like again working in higher ed and working with with college students for a number of years one of the main challenges that we had that we wanted to make sure that students when they left the university could care for their soul because at the end of the day you can put on all of the services, the production, all of this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you are not following Jesus as a disciple, then you'll reproduce from that, that brokenness, that broken spot. And, and for me, like I've had times in my own leadership where I've done that. And I can see, I can see the effects that that had. And I'm, I'm making every decision that we can now through a lens of, I'm more healthy. I want to make sure our team can do this for decades. I want to make sure that that the testament of us is not, oh, we have a great church service, a great church, but working here is terrible. Um, and I, again, you know, you know a little bit about the story with us coming here. We walked into a situation that was um, where the leadership had gotten toxic and the staff culture had gotten toxic. And so for us, it was this thing of like health was no longer a, this thing that we kind of would shoot for one day down the road. Like we had to have it right now, or, or this was going to be a place that I didn't even want to work. And, and that's really one of the key points that I would say for anybody that's trying to um, kind of make this shift and make this change. Like, how do I become a leader and create an environment where it's sustainable, it's healthy, and I think the first thing for my wife and I, as we step into these roles, it comes down to this. We want to be at a church that we would one, want to attend, that we would want, that we're okay working at. And I had my friend give me this one uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'll, I'll use this for the rest of my life. Would I be comfortable with my children working here? And so for me, it, it, again, because I can take so much, but I'm much more protective of my kids than I am even my own well-being. And so... If I would be comfortable with my with my son or daughter being in this staff meeting, or my son or daughter being in in this ad hoc meeting, um, that that's the deal for me. I want to create that kind of environment, and so we, you know, we try to do simple things to to show people that we care about them. We talk a lot about work life balance. Um, we we talk a lot about listen when you're taking time off. Here's what that looks like. Um, have a Sabbath. We, we really are, are strong on Sabbath and letting people understand that this is a biblical rhythm. And if we're disobedient to this rhythm, um, hmm. we don't care about the 10 commandments. Like it's one of the 10, like it's a big <laughs> sure. one. Like, but yeah. uh, and Ian, you've heard this story just as I'm sure I have. If, if we walked into most you know church boards 
and we told them that we were embezzling money, they would fire us on the spot. If we told them that we were having an adulterous affair, they would fire us on the spot. But if we told them that we hadn't taken a day off in three months, they'd probably give us a raise. Um, and and for, for us, so we, we try to talk about Sabbath with the same intensity that we want to follow through on this commandment in the same way that we do some of these others. And it's a challenge. And, and for me, it's a, it's a challenge to adhere to it. Um, it's a challenge to make sure that uh, we're creating space for our team. But at the end of the day, I don't want carnage. I don't want wreckage. I don't want people um, having, to, having to lie when people ask them if they like working here. I, I want them to be able to be honest and say, no, I love it. And here's why. Because the people, they care about me. They care about my family. Um, we do birthday cards for all of the kids on staff. Um, we send them a little gift card. And again, we want to just find ways where people know that they're seen and they're noticed and they're appreciated and they're not a commodity. Um, at the end of the day, I care more about the people on our team than what they produce. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that it's important, um, you know, a few things to reply to that, that you just talked about that was, I think is so good about the culture that you're building. One, um, that's, you know, that, that analogy of, you know, Hey, we would let this kind of person go, but we would give the person that was working that never took a day off a raise, you know, here, here's the sad truth. And I think that those of us that have been paying attention to the news, you know, within, uh, especially mega church culture, we could, we can honestly say that, that, um, they're not always letting that person go who has had the affair. They're not always letting that person go who has had some, you know, who have even embezzled money or, or, or misappropriated funds. I mean, even that we're so concerned with the, with, with the reputation, so concerned with, you know, gosh, just, just all of the attendance and all, and the machine that we've created that, um, you know, there's a phrase that, that we've seen, you know, and you and I have worked together and, and you've probably heard me say this, um, people are, are, are forgiving of bad character when you're very talented. Wow. Yeah. Gosh. And there's, and there's something about, um, you know, you know, when you have that, that leader who has, you know, been abusive in some way, uh, if they're really talented, they're going to get away with it for a very long time. If they're not really talented, it won't last very long. Right. right we are very forgiving of the leader who is talented. And so that takes us into when our church is a great church to attend, you got to think that's full of a lot of very talented people. And, and it's not that talent leads to bad character would never say that, but it is easier to get away with yeah. it in that. And so um, almost the, the vantage point of the person watching starts to shift. And so I, as I'm uh, have helped pastors, go to different churches, you know, I've helped, you know, um, just on our team alone within the next gen division, over 200 youth pastors get hired over the last few years. It is, it's been fascinating. The question I always tell them, I said, if you really want to know what the culture of a church is like, when you're there for the onsite visit, go up to individuals and, and, and just have it be a one-on-one conversation. Do this at dinner, you know, when you can just kind of lean over and, and ask this question or when somebody's giving you a tour of the building, I want you to say, what's your favorite thing about working mm, here? It's great. And that question gives, gives enough rope for the person to either really thrive and give an awesome answer or gives them enough rope to, to, to get in trouble, you know, cause I, more often than not, um, sadly they'll come back to me. This, the, person that's interviewing will say, Hey, I asked that question and took most people a little while to come up with something, you know, it's, Hey, what is the thing you like most about working here? And they'll be like, well, that's a good question, you know, and, 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 and it takes them a little while. And I said, that tells you a ton 
about the culture of who's there and why they're there. And so, you know, Charlie, I'd, I'd be really interested again in your, in your new role. Um, how long have you been the lead pastor over at Metro? Almost two years. Two years. So you're, you know, you're out of the honeymoon. You're, you're in the thick of it. And um, give me kind of, you know, you gave a, a few of these, yeah. but give me one, uh, and I didn't prep you with this, so I apologize, but give me one um, like mistake that you'd say you made sure. when you first got there. Cause it's the pressure you took on the pressure of having to turn around a culture and a staff. Yeah. And so there's something about, obviously you're going to share that pressure in some way and that's valid yeah. and good. Give me one where you're like, gosh, I really, I really could have done that better. And then give me one um, following that where you're like, this is what we're doing and how we're going to continue to move forward in and having a culture where people not only want to attend, because we want churches people want to attend, right. right? I'm not, in no way are we, are we suggesting get rid of uh, the, the concept that people love to attend your church in order to have a church people love to work at. I believe you can have both. So, so give, give us those two vantage points if you could. For sure. Um, I think the thing that I, that I probably swung and missed on, um, I think the biggest when I got here, and this is an underestimate uh, on my on my part, if a person was going to be a missionary, we would tell them um, learn learn the culture, um, understand what the, the rhythm of it is. And I think I um, I didn't appreciate the culture of DC being so different um, than the place that I was living before. Uh, you're just yes. like ah, it's a city, no big deal. Um, yeah. But the Washington DC, the DMV, the the District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia, that area has a very unique. Um, unique vibe. It has a very unique sort of person. And, mm-hmm. and for me, I didn't understand that. And I didn't know that there were certain, certain things that you do. And if you do these, it, it's kind of like a tell. And, and to be honest, it kind of, one of the things that bit me in the butt was uh, if you communicate something at the end of the week in, in this area, in this region, it means you're trying to bury the story and there's something else behind that. And so wow. there is a, um, when I first got here, there was a, uh, you know, there's a situation where we were just trying to get some information out and it was a change on something. And, and, and for me, honestly, it was a uh, thought that I had and I reached out to our creative team. We had been talking about doing this. And I was like, hey, let's go ahead and um, let's go ahead and do that post now. Let's throw the post out. And it was like Thursday afternoon into the week for us. And I just ended up getting blown up because people were like, hey, What's the real story? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so what I realized was up here, because you have so many people connected into governmental work and you have people, I was getting people using this phrase, we're a trust for, we're a trust, but verify sort of community. And I find that interesting because it's a quote from Reagan. And I, and I, and I would say this back to someone, I'd go, hey, I know the origins of that quote. That quote comes from Ronald Reagan in the midst of the Cold War. I certainly hope your thought of me is not nuclear holocaust. Like I hope when wow. you when you look and you think about us operating here, you're not thinking of, oh my gosh, they're going to try to blow us up. We've got to trust first, you know, then verify. And um, you know, so we kind of laughed about that, but I realized like, oh, that's the that's what I'm walking into rooms. That's the 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 temperature. And to be honest, yeah. I, I did not, uh, I underestimated that. And so it took me a little bit to kind of navigate through that and, and understand like, hey, perception is someone's reality. It may not be true, but it is their reality. And so having to, uh, having to navigate through that was, um, 
it was bumpy and uh yep. and and you, you learn you learn quick and you uh, apologize and and honestly it was a great point for me to be able to tell people um i'm not that slick like sure. I, I, i'm i'm honestly i'm just not that slick and uh and so it it, it it actually became something we could build a bridge off of um as people got a chance to know my heart and hear my heart um yeah but i think to do it over again i would have been more aware of of the culture not just of the church I felt like I had a good understanding of that. I didn't have an understanding of the community surrounding the church. And, and I think that was a step I, I, probably, I probably should have spent a little bit more time doing. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And, and then give us a little bit of the inverse. Again, you had to shift a culture. Yeah. You had to bring people from a deficit. It, it is an easier thing to start something new than yeah. it is to revive something from a deficit. Yeah. And so you had a, a, a culture that was, um, people were burning out. There was a little, you know, you used the word toxic yep. and, and, and over the last two years, um, you know, where, where have you gotten to and how have you gotten there? Yeah. So a couple things, um, a couple phrases that we would use, uh, they don't allow me to put this anywhere in writing, uh, because they, they feel like it's not appropriate. Um, but I love it. And it's a phrase that, that I use all the time is that we're going to be sexy over time. Um, we're not looking for, um, we're not looking for the prom night. We're not looking for that one, that one moment where we're going to get all dressed up and look real great. Um, I'm no, no tuxedos here. And so we're just, we want to be consistent and we want to, we want to be here for the long haul. Um, and so for me, it's that idea like, Hey, I want to be sexy over time. Uh, I may not turn your head in a moment. Um, but you'd be around me long enough and you're going to love me. And, and I want us to be like, I want to be like that as a leader. I want us to be like that as a team. Where, where flashy, it, it can come and go. Um, the Bible says it this way, that beauty is fleeting. And so for us, we, we don't want to be just that, that one moment where it feels like we love on our staff. Um, I want it to be kind of everything. So it's not like we're going to have one family day picnic, and then the rest of the day, we're just going to treat your, your family and your life you know, like trash. Right. Um, so for me, one of the biggest things that we did coming in was just assessing um, like what time off, like our staff had. Um, and we realized that like in the past, um, time off had been used around like the holidays had been used as like bait for performance. And so people couldn't make plans around the holidays with their families because they weren't sure. Because if you didn't have a good Sunday before the holiday, you may not get time off. Well, that's terrible. Um, and so probably the best thing that I was able to do is my first staff meeting um, I added three weeks vacation time to everyone's life. Yeah. And, uh, so that helped. <laughs> it's awesome. one thing to talk about work-life balance. It's another thing to add vacation time. So they get a week at Thanksgiving additional, and now they get some time around, um, Christmas and new year. Mm-hmm. And then the thing that I told them was, Hey, listen, I know many of you didn't take vacation this year because you were saving days for the holiday. And I want you to know that, that you're going to be able to this year roll that time over. You're not going to lose it because this is genuinely additional that we want to make sure that you have mm. and that this is going to be something ongoing. Mm. Um, and so that was just a huge thing to be able to do. We adjusted our office hours um, here because we realized that the traffic up here is, is, is ridiculous. Like it's crazy. Mm. And like it is in a lot of places. Well, I don't want our, our team sitting in traffic. Don't waste your time in traffic. So we've amended our office hours to where we can kind of avoid the heavier flow of traffic so mm. that your commute time is less and so those are just small things. Those are a couple of things that we've done, a couple of things we're going to continue to do ongoing. The other thing that, we, that we've done is we're just honest. 
Um, so I'm really big on candor. I, I think there's a lot of times where there's flattery language. I think there's a lot of times where nobody's telling you the truth, where, where people are telling you what you want to hear. And then the thing you need to hear, you have to find it written on a bathroom wall somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like I, I just, I want to create an environment where, you know, I love you because I'll have a, I'll have an awkward and a hard conversation with you. That's good. And that hard conversation isn't to destroy you. I had a mentor years ago say this to me that caring plus confrontation equals growth. Mm. And so I always want to make sure if I genuinely care about you, I will confront you. It's good. And confrontation is the catalyst for us to grow, to grow as an organization, to grow as a, in our relationship for me to grow as an individual. Yeah. And so those are a couple of things that we're doing. We're just really making this an environment where again, um, I want to come to, right. I want to work yeah. here. I don't you want you myself to want to work there. Oh, my kids to want to work good. there. I, I want, I also like my wife and I are very careful the way we use our language here that, that we are, we are on staff as well. Yeah, that's good. We attend the church as mm-hmm. well. Our role at the church may be different than others, but we are still a part of, of the team. And so there are people on our team that I have given the power and the authority. They can check me. Mm-hmm. They're not an overseer. They're not, they're not, I have those. Right. But I also want internal, internal mechanisms where, where I, I can be checked and they know there's not repercussion. They know there's not any, but I, here's what I realized for a person that has like power and the authority in an organization, the only way that I can bring others up to a level of power is if I redistribute some of my power. Yeah. And so we've, we've done that and there've been great moments. I'll never forget being here probably inside of like six months. Um, and our executive pastor, we were just having a chat and, and I, um, I tend to check out sometimes in meetings. Uh, once, once I'm done talking, uh, I check out. And, uh, so they got to a point where they were, they were talking about something and it wasn't, um, it didn't pop up on my, on my radar as important. What I didn't realize was that the room, the room shifted when I check out. And so again, uh, just a, a brilliant conversation. Uh, our executive pastor, a friend of mine pulls me in and our friendship has really grown working together. And um, he just said, Hey, uh, I need you to stop doing this. And I was like, like, what? And he goes, well, when you do this, when you're in a meeting, he said, and you check out, he said, I need you to know you affect the entire room and you hurt the organization. Wow. And I was like, man, like, is it that serious? Like, you know, I was like, wow, this is heavy. And he's like, no, he's like, I just need you to know. He's like, it it hurts us. He's like, I know you don't want to do that. And I know you're not even Mm -hmm. aware of that. And so the way that he handled that was with such grace and with, with such tact. And it reminded me that, man, I, I want to handle conversations like that. And so it was this, it was this, there's this mutuality that is, is in our organization that I genuinely love. Um, and that's everywhere from the way we confront, but it's also the way yeah. we create. Um, we have a lot of people at the table. We have a lot of people in the room. We talk through things. Um, we share, we share responsibility. We share victory. We share blame, but we also let experts um, thrive in the areas um, that they are, are experts yeah. in. That's really good. I, I, I think what, what I'm fascinated by and kind of as you, as you've walked through a lot of that is really, I mean, you're talking about relational dynamics here, right? This is not rocket science. This is this is a, a treat people the way you want to be treated. This is a, you know, be the boss you wish you had. I mean, it's all the bumper sticker stuff that's out there, but there's action that's required in really saying um, it is a job. 
there is something we need you to accomplish. We do want people to love attending here, but we don't want to do it at your expense. And so there's a way to, to I love the, the idea of distributed weight. There's a way to do that. And part of it that I think is unique in me knowing you, Charlie, and then also in, um, in hearing your story and knowing the inner workings of so many churches is truly allowing yourself to, to be checked. I, I, I think that is a, in leadership, we have started to build these barriers between us and the people who work with and for us. And when we do that, it, it really does, it creates an environment that doesn't feel safe to check or to ask that hard question. Um, you know, for that leader that's out there that is incredibly passionate, that whenever someone brings a, a problem or something that that they could really improve upon, um, they kind of, they, they power up on something. Well, man, your passion is awesome, but you have to realize that in that one instance, when you power up, you shut them down for years because they'll never feel safe coming to you again. That one time will cause that. And so um, I bet you there are uh, people that are listening to this who are on a church staff and they they listen to the way that you that you treat your team and they and and they they think to themselves gosh that would be incredible and i would say for that person um you know that it, it, it that sort of leadership does exist and i think is becoming more and more prevalent and so um help your leader uh, up to the as as far as you can help them um and know that you're not alone in wanting that and then for those leaders that are out there that if they really took that self assessment and they said you know what uh I have helped build a church that people love to attend, but I I know what's happened. I know the wake behind me is is gruesome. I know that the culture and 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 the morale of this staff is down, and 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 truly, um, I need to pick it up. And I would just encourage you as that leader, uh, hear some of the 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 promptings that 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 Charlie's bringing. Um, uh, create an environment. We say this at Slingshot a lot. We want to help churches create an environment that their staff couldn't imagine leaving. What would that be like? You know, what if we created environments on our teams where our staff love their work? And I and and I just find that that so many leaders are on one side or the other. They're either um, it's either so there's a better phrase for this, but this is what's coming to mind right now. It's either so touchy feely that nothing is getting accomplished or it's so business that no one can feel. And somewhere in the, in the middle there is the sweet spot of leadership because we've got to accomplish our tasks. Yes. Sunday's coming. Yes. There's something that, that does rely on our leadership because otherwise it wouldn't be our job. Again, when we say we want you to love, it's not just that we want you to love your life. We want that. We want you to love your work. We want that environment to shift, and so, and I'm 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 incredibly thankful for you, Charlie, what you're doing uh, over at Metro Church, uh, what you've done even in in, in our friendship, uh, and I appreciate you taking the time to to sit with us today. That's uh, great, man. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much. Awesome. Hey, uh, stick around. We've got some fun stories coming up after this segment that uh, you're not going to want to miss. All right. Get ready, everybody. It is now time for my absolute favorite part of this podcast. It is called Stories with Stan. Now, you don't know Stan, but you will. 
Stan is the co-founder of Slingshot Group, one of the best storytellers in the world. He's kind of like that great uncle that we all have that we look up to. He is an amazing influence on my life, and he's hilarious. So sit back and get ready to hear some stories with Stan. When I first uh, started my recording career, my first recording was, uh, I was 23, was in Oklahoma City with a, uh, for, uh, with a full orchestra, about 30-piece orchestra, all live. You know, there wasn't overdubs and piece by piece. It was like violins and trumpets and stuff. And I had never arranged music for violins or trumpets before. I figured violins go yeah 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 yeah, and trumpets go pur, 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 pur. so. <laughs> yes. So it, it can't. Theory one on one. It can't be that hard. It just can't be that hard. So I worked these arrangements up, and we recorded, and it was. I mean, I had, the studio offered me a job on the spot to be their staff arranger, and and me and Connie had just gotten married. It was a beautiful, awesome time, but. Um, I'm I'm a legit old school country music guy, you know. Like I love I love like the new country music. Some of the new stuff now I really like, uh, but some of the the last fifteen years, nah, I'm good. But the so old like school Merle Haggard, Merle Haggard, uh, Johnny Cash, Hank Williams, Hank Williams, and one of my favorites was Conway Twitty. <clears throat> So the reason I like Conway Twitty so much is because I really liked his drummer. His drummer was named Porkchop. <laughs> <laughs> so the owner of the studio said, you know, when I was there recording, he said, tomorrow night we need, you know, uh, we'll be mixing your stuff tomorrow, but we need to be done by 8 or 9 o'clock because Conway Twitty and his band is going to be here and use the studio to do demos. And I go... And I like, I want to be here. And they go, well, probably, you know, he probably wouldn't want, you know, a person he doesn't know there. So I didn't say anything because I didn't want to say, well, don't worry, I won't show up. So I wanted to leave it open so I could sneak in. <clears throat> so so about 1130 that night, I drove by the studio. And sure enough, Conway Twitty's big bus, two big buses sitting out in the, in the parking lot and I go this is awesome so I waited until uh and he had security guy there and I waited for the right moment I went up to the security guy and I go hey uh, uh I'm just going to be here uh observing Conway and the band and and uh, you know I'm one of the producers here so you know and I, I bluffed the guy and he let me in so I stood in the very back of the room <clears throat> and uh Porkchop was playing, you know, Conway's drummer, getting drum sounds and stuff. And I was, like, just in awe of what was happening. And so uh, pretty soon, uh, Conway, because uh, I'm in the in the back, the microphone was on so I could hear everything they are talking about in the studio. Conway starts hitting his chest and his his pockets. And look, I could tell he's looking for cigarettes. And uh, so he, he said, you guys got any any cigarettes, and, and he, he loved Chesterfield non-filter, which, you know, that's an American cigarette. Yes. You know, it's just, so if you're going to smoke cigarettes, non-filter Chesterfield, 
That'll give you cancer quicker than anything. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, he said, you know, he didn't have any. And so I walked up to the console and I pushed the talk back button. I said, Conway, I said, what kind of cigarettes do you like? And he said, Chesterfield non-filter. Non I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go across the street and get your cigarettes. He said, come here. Let me give you some money. I go, Mr. Twitty, it is my honor to buy you two packs of cigarettes. I'll be right back. And so I went across the liquor store and got him two packs of non-filter cigarettes. Came back in and I wished I would have gotten three packs and had him to sign one of them, and which he would have done. But it's one of the one of those joys of life of buying a famous country singer uh, non-filter cigarettes. It was awesome. Yeah. Thank you for joining us this week on the Slingshot Group podcast. We invite you to continue the conversation with us on social media. You can find Slingshot Group on Facebook. Instagram, and Twitter. Also, be sure to visit us at slingshotgroup.org to find out more about how we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Slingshot Group podcast so you'll never miss a show. Until next time.